0: We all really have power, but we also have the power to pass the mic and to bring other people into the conversation. Kids, adults, whoever it might be, everyone has something they can contribute to help the world solve this climate crisis.
1: You're listening to Hope Act Thrive by Be The Future. Or we like to call it HAT for short. And you, my dear listeners, are our Mad Hatters. HAT is an inspirational podcast for guardians of the next generation. Whether you're a planet-conscious parent, groovy grandparent, fab foster carer, terrific teacher, awesome auntie, or any other member of the extended family.
2: We're having conversations with leading doers, thinkers, and shakers in climate action that will inspire you to stay optimistic, feel part of an ever-growing movement, and take actions that fit into your busy lives. Just like you, we want to create a better, greener, fairer
1: future for the kids in our life. So, who are we? I'm Sally Giblin, an environmentalist, writer and parent, and co-host of this podcast. I'm
2: the one providing the Aussie accent. And I'm Helen Hill, and I'm an educator, author and designer. The one with a very exotic British Bolton accent.
1: Hello and welcome to the Hope Act Thrive podcast. Today's episode is with Matt Scott, who leads storytelling at the nonprofit Climate Solutions Resource, Project Drawdown. His work focuses on passing the mic to underrepresented change makers. Recently, he launched Drawdown's Neighborhood, a climate solutions short documentary inviting communities to discover solutions and take action. From 2016 to 2020, Matt helped engage more than 100,000 people from 150 plus countries in the world's largest global hackathon, NASA's International Space Apps Challenge, serving as the global community lead and storyteller. In addition, Matt is the founder of Let's Care, where he's released the film 20s and Change, San Francisco, and interviewed 100 plus change makers to date. Throughout his career, Matt has reached more than half a billion people in the digital space. This episode is supported by Unlikely Genius, which creates learning and content design for environment and sustainability. In this conversation, we'll talk about climate solutions storytelling, hearing the unheard in the climate space, and climate storytelling with kids. So let's get into it. Welcome to the podcast, Matt.
0: Thank you so much for having me and for the beautiful introduction. Um, And there's so much that we could dive into. So um, I am excited for this journey, but really thankful to be part of what you're creating with this podcast with Hope Act Thrive.
1: Brilliant to hear. Thanks so much, Matt. We're very excited to have you on and to chat about this space because I think there definitely doesn't seem to be enough storytelling about everything in this space, right. and particularly about, you know, the positivity and the impact we can have on the solutions. So excited to jump into it. And I guess we might just start with how can we use storytelling to better communicate about the climate
0: crisis? That is, that's the maybe the million dollar question. Some people might say it's a great question because- so often and for so long, the ways that we've communicated about climate have really been ineffective. And I think that's a good place to start when thinking about how to use storytelling more effectively. And I actually love to share um, some research from a psychologist and economist Per Stokeness, who talks about the five inner defenses when it comes to climate. And these are things like doom and gloom. Um, they are things like distance, a sense that climate and the climate crisis are far off um, in either in a physical sense geographically or in a time sense there is denial which we have to navigate there's a sense of cognitive dissonance and then there are people's identities which sometimes just get in the way of them caring and taking action and so stories as per talks about and as i share and and really truly believe in my work are critical because stories are brain friendly We're so connected to stories naturally as it is as humans from the time that we're born, whether we realize it or not. And um, what's so critical when it comes to storytelling is, particularly when it comes to climate, is telling the other half of the story. So it's not only amplifying the voices that have historically been amplified, but it's amplifying the voices that have yet to be heard. It's not only talking about the problems, but talking about the solutions and it's it's really as i like to say all about passing the mic to those who've often gone unheard because everyone has a story when it comes to climate i'm sure anyone who's listening could even think about what their climate story is why they care why they're engaged and what my work focuses on is really tapping into so many different stories and voices to get people to care and to take the action that we need them to take when it comes to climate solutions.
2: I love that idea of we're only telling half the story because we do we're so kind of encapsulated by our own experiences and cultures and things but can you tell a story or two that demonstrate the power of stories in this climate space and what they can really do for us?
0: Yeah, thank you, Helen. And I, I, there are so many different stories that I've encountered in my work, some that are very much tied to my work at Project Drawdown and otherwise. Uh, beyond that, you mentioned Let's Care and and everything else. But one story I often think of when you know when you ask that question the first one i thought of was the story of clara katango who is actually someone who i interviewed for drawdowns neighborhood our climate solution short documentary series and you know we began the series in pittsburgh interviewing 11 changemakers. and one of the people who i happened to meet through that process was clara and Clara was originally born in Uganda and grew up as, you know, many people do, um, depending on the generation and culture, kind of being told, like, you should be an engineer or you should take on a more technical career. That is like what a meaningful living looks like. And that's the message that she was told. That's the story she was told. And the thing that really inspires me with her story is that Clara wanted to be an educator, wanted to be a musician, use her talents in different ways. And it was her seeing the example of Wangari Mathai, who was a Kenyan-born activist, the first African woman to win a Nobel Prize. And Wangari actually received a degree in Pittsburgh. Wangari worked with trees in Pittsburgh. And when Clara left Uganda and moved to Pittsburgh, she she often credits Wangari's example, her story as being the reason why she said, oh, I as a black woman in Pittsburgh could work with trees. I, as a black woman, even in spaces where I don't see myself and see others like me, could still show up and make a difference and make an impact and bring my full self to that work. And so the reason I love Clara's story, which people could find um, front and center in Drawdown's Neighborhood, actually was our first episode released, is that it really shows the ripple effect of stories so how one person's powerful example and the representation they provide can really propel another person's journey which then could propel so many more people to move forward and so i love um, the story of the work that clara's doing in pittsburgh at tree pittsburgh and um, it's amazing because we actually just um, published an episode of the Overheard at Nat Geo podcast with National Geographic, which heavily features Clara's story. So um, I'm I'm so glad that people are are hearing her story, and hopefully that ripple effect continues.
2: I
1: love that, Matt, and I think you raise a really important point about representation too, because it's really challenging to go after things in life if you can't envision what that future could be for yourself or for the world at large and so it's so important that there are more stories out there of how people can get involved, how solutions, you know, are already out there, how solutions can be scaled and I think as well, you know, very much this idea of the future that we could create if we really take the concerted action needed around the world at speed and I think there, there aren't enough of those stories out there about that future. What would you right. really say the future being, and how would you paint that picture to inspire people?
0: Well, I, th- I think just to start out, you really touched on something powerful. And there's a phrase that I've heard most of my life, and I, I still don't think there's a you know, one specific person to credit this to, uh, because you could probably find a ton of sources for it. But there's a phrase that you can't be what you can't see. And I've often heard that phrase in the context of, again, representation, helping people see themselves in spaces where they might not currently see themselves that often and really in the process find belonging. That applies to climate and the stories that we need because again so often the stories out there have been focused on the problem or the stories out there talk about you know levels of emissions and they focus on data and statistics and use numbers to paint why we need to change the world in, in the ways that we need to, why we need to embrace climate solutions. While this, the stories I think that we do need are ones of hope and opportunity, of collaboration and possibility, actually showing how people are taking action today. So, you know, you mentioned, Sally, with that question that we need people to see that there are climate solutions out there today. And that's one of the things we really focus on at Project Drawdown day in and day out is letting people know that, you know, we, we have the solutions in hand today. We just need to work quickly, safely, and equitably in pushing them forward. And so um, for for me, what, what we need is a broad spectrum of stories. And in my, you know, in my work at, at Project Drawdown, I really focused on... Um, highlighting, you know, a wide range of stories that tie in with a wide range of solutions. So if Folks, you know, no project drawdown, or if you go to the project drawdown website um, specifically, I like to point people to drawdown.org/solutions. Like, you could see a bunch of the climate solutions, nearly 100 that our team has researched and and published in the drawdown book back in 2017. And so there's this wide range, and really, my work is on showing real world examples of those solutions that are coming to life. So there are some solutions like reducing food waste, which if we really do that, especially based on how much food we waste, we will remove more emissions from the atmosphere. We'll also feed more people and um, create healthier, happier communities and neighborhoods, right? But I think the key is that there's this diversity of, of voices we need. There's a diversity of solutions. And um, that's the, the big point that I want to get uh, drive home for people.
2: As an educator, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, that's the first thing that we're always told, that you, you need to embed these things in real life and and that, that diversity is crucial too. So what else would you say for those of us that want to become better climate storytellers? What are some of your top tips for telling better stories?
0: Oh, I like that question. You want to know some of the secrets to my storytelling. But I I will say one of the first things that I think a lot of people actually miss is it's so important to think about what your climate story is and to really spend time with that. And what I mean when I talk about a climate story what is that thing that motivates you to care what's the reason that you show up in the rooms that you do when it comes to climate if it's tuning into this podcast why are you listening to this podcast because there are so many people who don't choose to engage and haven't taken those first steps on the the journey they have a climate story too that maybe they haven't found yet but um you're you're on that path so why. It's it's important to examine that. And I encourage people to connect with their why first and foremost in, in telling better climate stories, because it really helps you connect with people more deeply. One thing I think is really interesting in interviewing people about climate change and, and climate solutions in their work is that Every single person that I've interviewed, um, uh, like they have their own unique climate story. But you know, when I ask them why they care, why they engage, it's never primarily about the emissions in the atmosphere. Like, yes, they realize the climate problem and realize it's a priority, but what they often talk about is about again, human health. They talk about jobs, they talk about equity, they talk about building the community and economy and Making life better for people in in the places where they live and around the world, and so I think it's important to tap into that um, that true, authentic story. And actually, someone that I've worked with at um, through my work at Project Drawdown, Josna Harris, who is the creator of um, an organization change narrative, is an expert on like pulling out people's climate stories and helping them helping them do that. And I I think it's really critical to spend time to figure out what is your unique why because if you're able to really tap into those reasons why you care and to share those which might be deep and emotional and sometimes dark, but also hopeful and all of these really human things, you're able to connect with other people. Um, Because you know, the other piece I would say is other than figuring out your story, that deep real story. um, It's so critical to put your audience at the center. I've seen people with presentations go in with statistics in hand that they plan to share and with data and uh, which is really critical and important in all these conversations. But it's also important to really consider who your audience is and how you could meet them where they are, instead of asking them to meet you at the table, like understand what your audience cares about, understand what their priorities are, and Really have conversations with them and speak to them about those things that they care about. That's how I would say to tell better climate stories. Again, identifying and tapping into your own story, but then also really spending time to listen and figure out how your story connects with the people that you want to engage and connect with.
1: What you're saying does resonate a lot and it reminds me a lot of the work of Catherine Hayhoe too around, you know, really connecting yes. with others around what, what you love and what they love and, and finding that point there to, to really show them they already do care. I'm thinking about this on two levels. You know, there is communicating on a, on a wider sphere and and when there's bigger, larger groups of people and, and different dynamics there, but I guess when you transition this to a, you know, one-on-one relationship or, you know, particularly with the closest people in your life, what do you think is the best way to try and connect there, particularly if you've got people in your life who aren't quite tapped into the, the climate crisis yet?
0: That's a great question because it can be really tough to, again, walk into any space and talk at people really is, is how I would put it. And so I, I really believe in the power of conversation and again meeting people where they are. So one thing that I'll do, you know, I, in my work at Project Drawdown over the last year or so, I've given more than 50 talks and and connected with communities and I'll typically start with a question and it, you know, in in a lot of cases that question has been What comes to mind when you think of climate change and global warming? Or what is your climate story? Or what have you learned about climate change and global warming? I, as an interviewer and as just a chronic question asker, I guess you could say, someone who really believes in the power of starting with a question. So often there's this pressure for us, especially when we want to convince people of things, to go in and throw information at them and throw arguments at them. And that applies to friends and family members. But I think a good starting point, again, is that understanding. In fact, like the first conversation, assuming that you have access to those friends and family members and others on some kind of ongoing basis, a first conversation I think is just asking them. How do you re- relate to climate? Why does climate matter to you? Um does climate matter to you? What do you think about, you know, XYZ news story about climate that you saw the other day? These are good entry points because one, it really puts the conversation in the other person's hand and kind of lets them lead, but it also it also really gives you the opportunity to again, understand where they are starting and where they are. So sometimes I'll ask someone a question and they'll they'll be at a starting point of already knowing about climate solutions and caring about climate change and, and doing what they can to move in that direction. But sometimes I'll have conversations and, you know, people aren't as aware, people haven't thought about these things. And so I would really encourage folks to to get curious and start from a place of working to understand where that person's coming from rather than assuming you know or rather than pushing information and pushing arguments on onto them. Because, you know, for instance, just to talk about what could happen if you like throw information at people that goes back to what I was saying with per and Stokeness and some of the problems with ineffective climate communication, sometimes we throw information at people, and it causes them to distance themselves from the problem and and kind of turn off their brain rather than more deeply engaging. And so really um, digging in and Asking them about their story and and responding genuinely without an agenda, with where your story is, how you relate, is a good way of of opening up the conversation and and starting to get to a place where you could engage them in broader awareness, in shifting their attitudes, and also in taking action.
2: That's so true, and it really resonates with me because I you you know you see it time and again that. I think we always feel like we need to give, give, given as part of that, we need to throw the information up there first. So that's a really good key right. point there to start with a question and bring people into your space and, and before you start then giving them the information. I, I love that. And I, I presume, you know, this works for adults and children as well, doesn't it? Can you tell us a few of your thoughts on climate storytelling with kids?
0: In thinking about, engaging with with children and with young people about climate, one thing I think about is my own climate story. So I grew up as a kid of the 90s watching a little show that I'm sure many of your listeners have heard of called Captain Planet and the Planeteers. And, you know, It was a cartoon at the time. You could still find it online. It's in syndication. There's a great organization called the Captain Planet Foundation, which is still doing so much around um, the the idea of Captain Planet. But just to explain Captain Planet for those that that don't know, it is an animated show, and it featured this, um, this hero, Captain Planet, who was the title character, along with his group of five planeteers who came from all over the world and who each had a unique power in um, doing something about climate and in tackling the climate crisis and I think especially considering the fact that this was a show that was on really 30 years ago um it it was really ahead of its time and that show was speaking to young people and it was introducing concepts to like concepts like pollution and deforestation and and so I say that to say that, you know, we can talk about these issues with young people or with kids um, when it comes to deforestation and how people aren't taking care of the world around them. Um, We can talk about pollution with kids. I think the big gap oftentimes is in telling the full story. So again, it's not only about the problem, but there are solutions and things we could do. So when talking with children and engaging with them, I think it's really critical to Um, to, you know, in in a way that's accessible to them in terms of language, um, to educate them and tell them about what's going on, but also to let them know that it's not, that the story of what's going on doesn't just end at the problem. There are things that people can do. And that's actually one thing where I think a lot of folks fall short in connecting with their kids about climate because one thing I, I I often think about is that one kids know so much more than we give them credit for. Again, because of the internet, because of media and social media, and all of these different avenues for information that you know they could come across over the course of the day. Other kids at school who are exposed to those things, right? Um, And also, adults, I think also, especially when it comes to climate, know so much less than we think we know. So it's important to recognize that kids could have these conversations. It's also important to recognize that as adults, we need to educate ourselves about the full story. Um, When we're going into a conversation about climate and we only know about the climate crisis, for instance, it makes it really difficult to educate kids about the solutions when we're not equipped with that knowledge and so one thing I would say is uh, a good starting point for adults is to one educate yourself and do what you can to learn about the more full story when it comes to climate realize that there is hope and opportunity and possibility with the story. It's not just a sad story, but it's a story that allows kids to be superheroes. And um, I would also say kids love the idea and the concept of superheroes. So empowering them with that idea that they can be heroes and doing something about climate is one, a great way of kind of sparking social action and climate action is something for them. It definitely um, worked helped helped me out when it came to climate and our world, um, when I saw Captain Planet and the Planeteers. And I think there's a great opportunity to replicate um, telling these stories of the problem, but also of um, the need for real world superheroes and um, helping kids see that they can be those heroes. So there's a lot there. But again, uh, the key point being, um, you know, help kids see their power and their potential and that they don't have to wait until they're adults to tap into that power and potential.
1: Completely agree with you there, Matt. And I think that's very much, you know, why Helen and I are doing Be the Future and, and, you know, the sort of perspective that we come from too and really believe that we can empower kids here. And I guess I think about my own son who's five and there's a, a show now called Octonauts. And for those who aren't familiar, you know, that is all about these little sea creatures who go and fix things in the oceans and you know probably quite similar to Captain Planet it's very inspiring for kids and you know my son will often pop out from watching this and tell me some amazing fact about the oceans that I've never heard about before these incredible creatures and how they're trying to solve things so I think that that solution mindset and showing kids that they can actually be part of that is is so critical And so I guess to to lead on from that, what does give you hope for the future?
0: I mean, in short, you know, people really give me hope for the future because the world could be really frustrating. And I am probably the first person to point to the fact that there are so many problems out there, not just with climate, but also uh, other issues beyond climate and intertwined with climate, like social issues, for instance. But the thing that gives me hope is that people have all of these different skills and diverse real-world superpowers, as I like to say, that they could bring to the table. Um, And so a great example of that, and maybe the, the place where I really, truly realized that everyone had something to contribute was when I started my work on the NASA International Space Apps Challenge in, in 2016. And I worked on the program until 2020 before joining, leaving that and joining Project Drawdown to do the work that I do now. And on NASA Space Apps Challenge, which is the world's largest global hackathon with events in, in um, 85 plus countries, but with participants in 150 countries when I was part of the program as you mentioned engaging 100,000 100,000 plus people like the big thing I realized was that for space apps we had you know we were asking people to create solutions hacks uh, in these hackathons to problems on earth and in space and explicitly we were inviting artists we were inviting students we were inviting coders storytellers professionals entrepreneurs Designers, you know, a wide, wide, wide range of people from a diversity of backgrounds from all over the world explicitly because there's a realization that we needed those diverse perspectives to create solutions. And through Space Apps, I got to see people create some really amazing projects and bring their minds and different skills and perspectives together to do something powerful. And so, what gives me hope is, well, one realizing that people can come together people can contribute and tap into their their unique skills they don't a lot of people don't know what powers and what skills they bring to the table currently and so there's some work um on on my hands and on your hands and and for all of us to really help people find their powers but um i i love the fact that we just have so much um so much that we could each bring to the table. And I actually just wanted to give an example, Sally, based on what you were saying um, about your five-year-old. And, you know, I recently was talking with a nine-year-old, named Robert, who lives in the Toronto, Canada area. And Robert created something called the Children's Climate Championship. And the, the thing I, like, absolutely adore about Robert is that he started interviewing people about climate change and about climate solutions recently. And he has a YouTube channel, and he just passed 100 subscribers. Um, Again, it's called the Children's Climate Championship. And what's so cool that he sees in his work interviewing people and also that I see in my work interviewing people is that there's really a lot that people bring to the table. And all we need to do is figure out how to unlock that to and, and apply that in the right places and where the need, you know, where the need is the highest um, to, you know, get people to do something about climate change and to bring solutions to life. So I'm I I love I really love people because there's so much potential there and we've only really scratched the surface.
2: That's so true. And it's something we talk about quite a bit in, you know, finding that place that's your agency. And I mean, the great thing is it removes that pressure from feeling that you have to do it all as well, which is obviously a big overwhelm factor in, in eco anxiety, but talking about powers in there. So you're talking about finding your powers. What would you say to our, our powers, the world leaders, if you had two minutes in a room with them?
0: We need to really realize that, you know, that companies have power. We, we need to realize that community organizations have power, that educators have power. And if we're trying to solve these problems without those people in the room, we're not going to solve those problems. We're messing up by not having other people, the voices that often go unheard in the room. And that's really the thing that needs to be fixed.
1: You're so right on that, and I think that's probably a wonderful point to end on because that is a critical part of the puzzle that we do seem to be often missing right now. So, Matt, thank you so much for joining us. I think that's been so inspiring, and I've been nodding along and uh, learning a lot about storytelling. So thank you very much for your time.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And I I hope that if anything, that um, if there's anything I can get across, it's just that um, we, we all really have power, but we also have the power to pass the mic and to bring other people into the conversation, kids, um, adults, whoever it might be, everyone has something they can contribute to help the world uh, reach drawdown and to help solve this climate crisis. So thank you so much for having me, Sally and Helen.
2: Thanks so much for joining us. Your initiation into the Hatter tribe is now complete. We really hope this episode inspired you and that you're coming back for more. If it did,
1: please review, subscribe, and share this episode with a curious, climate conscious friend.
2: It makes it possible for us to keep having these conversations for you. And there's lots more where that came from. Check out the show notes for more details on this episode and our fabulous guest.
1: And if you just can't get enough of us and manage to grab another few minutes peace in your day, do come hang out with us on social channels where we share real tips for real parents and help you to turn eco-anxiety and gloom into fun and playful action.
2: And not forgetting you can regularly see us making a fool of ourselves on reels. Together, we can hope, act, thrive.